0: It's Break Time with Christopher J. Today we're going to take a look at John Hughes. Let's time trip back to the 1950s and start our story. Buckle up. Welcome to part two of our John Hughes special. Now, John Hughes, as a, as a writer-director, would go on to, to write National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. It's now a Christmas classic. I watch it every year. I recommend it to everybody. Curly Sue was the last time that he directed a movie. He would just stick to, to writing, and he wrote uh, or produced um, just a ton of great films. Again, Plain Strange Automobiles, The Great Outdoors, uh, Uncle Buck, Home Alone. Uh, something called, something called Career Opportunities, which I don't remember, and also Only the Lonely, which was again a return to John Candy. And they were, they were close. In fact, um, uh, John Candy, he died of a sudden heart attack in 1994, and Vince Vaughn, who is a friend of John Hughes, would say, uh, quote, he talked a lot about how he loved Candy. If Candy had lived longer, I think John would have made more films as a director. And, you know, seeing him stop in 1991 with Curly Sue, I honestly wish that he had. Just because he quit directing, he didn't quit writing, producing, anything like that. Uh, He did write Home Alone uh, to usher in the 90s. He also wrote the first two sequels, Home Alone 2 and 3, which, honestly, if you haven't seen number three, uh, you should check that out. It's not Kevin McAllister. It's different. It's um, not great, but it's not as maligned as it should be for being a second sequel and a third film in that particular series. Now, the one thing that I will say is that, creatively, he, uh, John Hughes might have kind of run out of gas. He, uh, he did do the big screen adaptation of Dennis the Menace in 1993, and that proved to be joyous and brought in money. The next year, he wrote a script called Baby's Day Out, it was a box office flop. I have never seen it. I remember seeing the poster for it. And I remember seeing one trailer did not know it was connected to him. And just thought, well, this looks like a dumpster fire, I will avoid this at all costs. But the thing is, is so we're in the 90s. Now, the thing that people don't realize is that john Hughes seemed to have something coming out all the time. He was like the voice of this teenage generation, and he was absolutely phenomenal at what he did. He was quick, too. Ferris Bueller apparently wrote it in six days. People don't have turnaround movies like that. He apparently wrote uh, Home Alone in like nine days or something like that. He He wrote Home Alone because the original director of Christmas Vacation, Chris Columbus, uh, couldn't work with Chevy Chase. Like, they were not getting along. They didn't see eye to eye on how they wanted to do it. And Chase didn't want to make the same movie that Columbus did. So Chris Columbus removed himself and told John Hughes, gee, I, I, I've always I've always wanted to make a Christmas movie, and I'm sad I can't do this. So John Hughes went away, and two weeks later brought him the script for Home Alone, which is, like, the biggest hit of 1990 and just like deliver this hit on a silver platter with hardly like having to think about motivation and character and flesh it out and all that and you might be able to say well you know it's a mindless comedy but you know what it's got family values it's got a lot of heart it's got some funny moments it helped to make the uh, career for some of the people daniel stern joe pesci so say what you will but it gave us Macaulay Calkin, it gave us something cool, you can watch it now and talk to your kids about micro machines and the pop culture and stuff at that time, and there was a good message about finding your voice and being independent and knowing that you can take care of your, yourself, which a lot of movies about kids aren't geared towards that anymore, it's about being afraid of the stranger or, you know, living in fear in general. But this was a positive message about how you can take control and you can live your life being who you are. And I've always liked that. And it's something that maybe it was intended to be in there, maybe not. But it does everything you want a movie to do, changing a character from kind of this wussy, meek character to a kid that can take care of himself. And that's what John Hughes characters did. They went through stuff and sometimes they went through a lot of shit to get there, but they got there. When John Hughes wasn't writing under his own name, he did have a pseudonym, which was Edmund Dante's. Now, for any classic lit fans out there, you'll know that that's the main character from Alexander Dumas' novel, The Count of Monte Cristo. The movies that he wrote under that name was uh, the first Beethoven movie, that's right, with the St. Bernard and Charles Grodin, that was John Hughes. He would also uh, use that pen name to write Made in Manhattan for Jennifer Lopez. And in 2008, use that same moniker for Drill Bit Taylor, the movie that Owen Wilson did that I've never seen. Again, it's one of those that didn't look great. I didn't know he was behind it, but it is what it is. Now, here's the thing. I have a whole list here, a whole great big list of unproduced screenplays of John Hughes And I'm going to save that for another time. I'm going to do another episode about Hughes because I just love him so much. I reference him on the Saturday Morning Podcast quite a bit. And I always say, if you need something to laugh at, go go watch like Ferris Bueller or Breakfast Club or something that he has his hands all over. So in the 80s, John Hughes was like the voice of the teenagers. In the 90s, he kind of stepped away from that and did, I think, what could kind of pay the bills. In the 2000s, he wrote under a different name. He wasn't really writing things. that really reflected where he had started 20, 30 years before. Uh, He had kind of matured into a different kind of storyteller. Maybe he was more of a a storyteller that could do things on assignment as opposed to it just coming out of his brain. And I don't know if he ever slowed down from where he was at. Now, like I said, uh, he married Nancy Ludwig, a cheerleader at his high school. They got married in 1970. Nancy and John would end up having two children, uh, their son, John Hughes III, and another son named James Hughes, so it was born three years uh, later. Throughout his life, John Hughes identified as being a uh, Republican, specifically a Reagan Republican from the 80s, which is maybe why some of his movies embrace the, like, the total 80s-ness of it all. Uh, ben Stein said that uh, he was an ardent Republican and extreme conservative. He believed Reagan could transform all of us into Ferris Bueller's. Ferris was an artifact of a free era. Ronald Reagan was all about freedom. So that kind of gives you an inkling as to what he had in mind. Uh, even if you take the politics um, element of it, of it out, that was just his inspiration I don't think if you look at those movies that there's like a Republican agenda or anything like that. That's what John Hughes had in the back of his mind. And that's why his characters express wanting to kind of live their life and live on their terms and to be free. And that I think is what made a lot of his characters so appealing because they didn't really have to deal with consequences. They didn't have to, to think about well, they didn't have to think about real life, I guess. You know, there's always consequences for us, but not for Ferris, not for Cameron, as he found out, although we never saw what happened after Cameron's dad came home. But anyways, this was the point of view that that he had and what he lived for, but he never injected that really into any of his scripts, at least not that I could, I could find. So in 2009, uh, in August... John Hughes and family uh, traveled to New York City to uh, visit their son, James, and their new grandson. And uh, on the morning of August 6th, Hughes went uh, went out from the hotel room he was in and took their dog and was walking the dog. And he suffered a heart attack and he was rushed to the hospital and he was pronounced dead knowing that he was gone. Now, he left quite a legacy of film, uh, almost one for like every occasion, ones that you can watch and feel like a a person back in the 80s or a teenager. His last years seemed to be kind of quiet. He wrote when he wanted to. He was enjoying his family. Obviously, he had become a grandfather. When he passed away, it felt like somebody from that 80s generation had just been snuffed out. You know, he was so fast and vibrant and had this clear voice for his characters that when he was gone, it felt like a part of the the 80s went with him. But thank goodness for things like DVD, because that allowed him to record at least a, an audio commentary for Ferris Bueller. It's somewhat fascinating to listen to. I remember some uh, gaps in there, of just him like watching the movie, but. You know what, if it's a few extra minutes with uh, a filmmaker like that that is just extraordinary and one of a kind and a true original, it's definitely worth the time. So, the movies, the music, the pop culture, and John Hughes himself, well, those were some of the things that made the 80s so special. Well, that's it for now. Join us next time when we explore more 80s and 90s pop culture. If you've got any memories of this or other things from the best decades, email me at satmornpod at hotmail.com. And if you're a fan of the 80s, or cartoons, or cartoons from the 80s, be sure to check out the Saturday Morning Podcast hosted by me. We drop a new episode every other Saturday, and hope it'll make you feel like a kid again. And now, back to our regularly scheduled program.